Blog Talk Radio. Hello there, this is Carol Jorgensen Sheets, and I am Carol the Coach. My intro is stuck. Who would have thought that would have happened? Your issues. There are no problems. Well, I'm not going to let it come on. I am actually going to talk to you about lots of things that are going on in the lives of partners and addicts. You know, this is such an important time to really... Look at the resources that are available to you so that you can actually get the most help that you need. Now, everybody knows that I believe that addicts really need an opportunity to work a recovery program that is so important, so necessary in keeping them sober. And then for partners, it's so important to find, find the right support to help you heal. Now, you know I'm a believer in outcome, and that obviously is an opportunity for you to work together as a couple to get over to post-traumatic growth. But not every couple, not every couple is successful. And it's such a betrayal when sex addiction has occurred and you find out about it. And then it's more of a betrayal, if you will, when marriage didn't make it, maybe by your choice or maybe not by your choice. So if you're a partner, you may ask, what are the supports available to me so that I can make this work? So that I can feel better. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But in the meantime, I want you to know that there are a lot of opportunities for you to really get the help you need. I just, under the research, uh, resource tab on Help Them Heal, I split the brain science of sex addiction into four parts. I felt it was so important because oftentimes when this has happened to a partner, he or she will think, what's wrong with me? Why did my spouse go to that when my spouse had me? And so I've got a video on that. It's an animated video that talks about the fact that nothing's wrong with you. And then... We've got the brain science of sex addiction. What I want partners to know more than anything is that this sex addiction probably occurred years before he or she ever met you. Then that third recovery um, video is on the tools for success if men practice literally practice the 10 tools for recovery, they will have a 98% better chance of really being able to manage this addiction long-term. And then last but not least, 
we have what is IRCA? How does the early recovery couples empathy model work? And that video shows the necessity for the addict to consistently work on both the individual recovery and the relational recovery. So it is so important, so important to make this thing work by doing those two things simultaneously. So if you go to Sex Help with Carol the Coach, it'll morph into Help Them Heal. And then when you do that, what you'll find is that a lot of different tabs with a lot of different things. You know, you'll find out what is IRCA. You'll, you can sign in and get a free couples guide so that you know who you're working with and you know what to expect. Then we've got two different directories. Well, actually, we've got three. We've got the IRCM directory. Those are people that are skilled and trained and certified in early recovery couple sympathy model. And then we have Help Her Heal, which is a specialist um, who can help addicts work through developing empathy. And now we have the Help Them Heal specialists, people who have read the book and done the training for the book, Help Them Heal, and they're ready to walk you through that. So don't hesitate to get on my website and see if any of these things apply to you. Most importantly, I think the big one right now is the workshop that we have coming up April 2nd from 3 to 4.30 Eastern for nine weeks to help you as a couple work through, help them heal, and get over to post-traumatic growth. Now, as I indicated, not everybody's so fortunate. And we've got couples that decide to divorce. And sometimes that happens to the partner, or sometimes that's the partner saying, I have to take care of myself. I can no longer be in this relationship. And when that does happen, it is so important for you to seek a specialist who can really um, catapult your success. And so one of the things that I'm super excited about is that we have Amy Wolfie, who actually um, is, has been instrumental in helping divorcees figure out how they can find their power. And she has something called the three pillars. And she's a coach like I am. And we really believe in empowerment. We know that the most important thing that you can do when all this has gone down and you don't think you can take it another second is to realize that you have choices. And when you have choices, then you are empowered to make decisions. And when you make decisions, that really is all about choice. So I can't stress enough how viable her resources are. I know she's had workshops, she's had classes. And so I asked her to come on the show to talk a little bit about what she is doing. So Amy, welcome to the show. Oh, my goodness. It is so awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, I so believe in this topic. You know, when partners have gone through betrayal next to the loss of a child, it's the worst thing that could ever happen to them. And then if by choice or by circumstances their marriage doesn't make it, it's an extra hundred layers of trauma on top of them. And so for you to have created a curriculum and a workbook uh, that is all based on empowerment, I just said, I got to have you on. You've got to talk with our listening audience about what you've done, you know, to help partners heal. So when did you shift from believing uh, that it was your fault to realizing that it really wasn't? that truly this was relational behavior that occurred to you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, just going off of what you were saying before, like when all of those amazing programs you just offered, Carol, the, thing, the work that you do, I unfortunately didn't have awareness to any of it. And I'm, I'm one of those back in the day girls. So <laughs> this happened before the term betrayal trauma really caught fire, was really even talked about or known. And so um, I think a lot of my story is kind of like the learn the hard way, which is why I wanted to do what I'm doing now, make it a little bit easier because that word that you and I both love empowered is so deeply important to me as well because I was so disempowered. And for me, that shift where I did think everything was my fault, um, his acting out behaviors, but also started to feel like the divorce was my fault. And I chose it. It was one of those, like, I needed to get out. I needed to have a life-saving divorce. I still felt guilty. I was still being made to feel guilty. But I give my dad massive amount of credit here because up until this point, I was just always being told messages like, hey, be more Christ-like, be more patient, faithful, uh, have more sex. I think that for him, the focus was all about how to make him happy, not around my own lived experience in their relationship, not about my concerns or even what I wanted in that relationship because that was told I needed to compromise that to make him more happy. Um, so for those reasons and more, I, I was self-aware enough to know that what was happening was not what I wanted. I always, um, I, I didn't believe that I deserved different though, Carol. I felt like I want different, but maybe I'm not worthy of different. Maybe um, I've done something to mess this up in my entire future up. So I just kept trying harder to be better and to make the situation different. Um, but it was my father who was the one that started to really give validation to the abusive behavior and communication to call out some of the audacity in his demands and expectations um, and calling BS to <laughs> a lot of the perspective um, that, that I was being fed and told I needed to believe. So having, having my dad validation when I couldn't validate it myself was, was probably that, that shift for me. Well, you know, you're, you're talking about this occurred way back when, and I remember when I started my podcast in 2007, there was no other podcast on sex addiction, and there was obviously nothing out there for partners. And so no. it was really kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants experience, and you just did the best you could 
with what you had, what you knew, and maybe the support of family or friends. And so you realized at some point that it wasn't your fault. How did you get there? How did you learn that? Um, Again, it was the awareness. And that's why in the way that I coach and helping women coach themselves, they have divided up into those three pillars, awareness, acceptance, and agency. And so it started with more awareness of those behaviors, more awareness of my rights, mm-hmm. uh, my rights as a human, my rights in a marriage, uh, in, in that relationship. So becoming more aware of healthy, what, what is and isn't, um, is that place to start where I think a lot of us need to start. Otherwise, it's denial, it's rationalization, minimization, justification. And I, I lived there for a really long time in those lack of awareness places. So for me, it was the awareness piece. I am such a numbers girl. So will you give me an idea of when discovery was for you? What year? Yeah. So, gosh. <laughs> um Real discovery, I would I would probably have to say, was 2008, um, where, no, I take that back. It was actually 2005. Okay. And, but a really, really traumatic event happened in 2008. Um, and more and more information started to come out. But in 2005. I, that's when I started to see that he was looking at pornography. He was into things that I that were not agreeing, um, an agreement in our relationship that would, you know, take place. So, but it was very easy for me, like I mentioned before, to justify, to believe his <laughs> justifications and minimizations so that I could stay in that protective denial. Right. So I stayed there for a while. Well, and I I believe, as we've been taught through AppSats, that that brain functioning is offline. It is such Mm -hmm. a trauma state to be in. And so it makes sense that it took you a few years to feel everything settle and to begin to have that awareness of this isn't about me. This is about his atrocities. This is about him not working. And more importantly, and I'm just making this up because I don't know your ex-husband, nor do I know your story, being rigorously honest to build a whole new marriage. Because that's right. what has to be at the foundation of a whole new marriage is honesty. Yeah. And so... Well, and the tragedy is that there was no honesty in the very beginning before we even got married. And that's a big part of a lot of my client stories as well. Is I wasn't made aware of his addiction and his struggles when we were dating, when we were engaged, and certainly not in the marriage. And so you are already, you know, you you mentioned something earlier about choice and having choice. I believe that that choice wasn't even given to me. It was taken from me in the very beginning because I didn't go into the marriage with full honesty and disclosure of what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about choice, gosh, I think it goes back before the marriage in a lot of, you know, uh, stories, mine as well, but a lot of the clients that I work with is I didn't know what I was getting into to begin with. So I didn't even have a choice. And, you know, I talk to so many addicts that um, fool themselves. 
There may be mm-hmm. ultimate absolute deception from day one. Or they may believe that if they just get married and they just find the right person, that their addiction will dissolve or it'll yeah. be manageable or they won't need it anymore. And, of course, there's nothing that could be further from the truth. And right. so they fool themselves. And Patrick Carnes, uh, the godfather of sex addiction, <laughs> he says, as therapists and coaches, when we're working with addicts, we have to keep them out of denial. And that minimization, yeah. that justification, that rationalization. I mean, I, I just happened to talk with a man, oh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I would take advantage of my wife when she was asleep. And mm-hmm. finally, a therapist called me on it and said, you are raping your wife. And he had minimized that to believe that if she really wasn't awake, it wasn't a problem. They were, he was getting his needs met, and he wasn't even bothering her. And so that's yeah. kind of that sickness that can occur when an addict is pursuing the addiction. So now let me ask you, because you said awareness is the first pillar. Mm-hmm. And so was it your father that created that first moment of awareness, or did something else shake you up and and kind of shake that awareness feature inside of you that we all have but obviously intuition feels very compromised when you've been lied to over and over and over again yeah it it is very much compromised and i and i think unfortunately in my story i had lost so much of myself over the years um it, it really wasn't until I left. I had I had um, an experience, and I ended up leaving, going to my parents' house. I was in Kentucky. They lived in Arizona. And I had a moment, a few days there. And that's really where this big awareness started to shift for me. It was, it was me honestly stopping. Uh, I wasn't hiding my story as much anymore. I had hidden a lot of it. I didn't tell people what was going on in terms of the abusive behavior. Um, or even to the extent of his addiction. So the awareness started with me actually being vulnerable and truthful, too, to my parents. And then they could help me <laughs> start to be a little bit more aware of the reality of the situation. Um, but I would have moments of awareness perils throughout my marriage, like, that doesn't feel right. Or you know what? Something isn't adding up here. And I would explain it, but then the gaslighting and the manipulation and all of that type of abusive communication was going on. And I was very quick to agree with his perspective and gaslight myself at that point. So that became sort of the pattern. Uh, So to answer your question, it really was that moment of leaving the situation for a period of time, which is why separations can be really helpful. Just time away can be really clarifying. Mm -hmm. And that's, I could start to be more aware of the severity of my situation. Well, that makes sense as well. As if we look at things from a brain science perspective, you were calming down your brain enough to be able to begin to see what you might need to do. And so um, you know you've lived that awareness piece. How do you help your clients? 
in the awareness pillar of healing? Most of the time, clients will come and they will be very much in that prefrontal cortex trying to figure it all out, mm-hmm. right? They want validation, answers, checklists, tools to make it all go away faster, like the pain that is. But I really try to guide them towards their bodies. Becoming more aware of their bodies is, is, is where we can get more of the reality of things as they really are, where we can see our truth. And when trust has been blown up in our faces, like you mentioned before, the rug completely ripped out from underneath you, and we can't really even trust our thoughts at this point, um, especially when they've been manipulated by, by your partner to believe that false reality. Uh-huh. So trusting the body first and being aware of what is the body saying, that's where I start to help them um, return to. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so that next pillar is mm-hmm. acceptance, right? Yeah. And and what did acceptance look like in your life, and how do you see it in your clients' lives? This is a really hard one. I, this is where a lot of us get stuck. <laughs> I, I think this is where it's easy to get stuck. Um, and first of all, acceptance is not the same as approval. I actually took the principle of acceptance into two different um, stages. I believe that there's this very foundational acceptance. And then then you can move into more of a transformational, like, okay, I'm accepting things as they really are, and now what I want to do with them. But this foundational acceptance is really we're slowly shifting out of denial, out of that rationalization, minimization, justification. We're accepting what we can't control um, which is hard. That's where I think we get stuck the most. Letting go of I can't control what he does, how he heals, if he does, what he chooses. Um, that's a lot right there, right? To help clients uh, maneuver through this letting go of things that they thought they were in control of. Mm-hmm. All sense of control. Um, and, and again, accepting what the body sensations are telling them. What is your body telling you right now? And let's believe your body. So it's this very basic, like where it all started um, is, is what accepting, uh, it, it's accepting help. Like I mentioned before, I needed to accept that I needed help, accepting that I needed um, my parents' help. And I, I couldn't give that to myself right at that time. So basic foundational acceptance can look like it. Only a professional who gets it so that they can help you um, see things as they really are. So were there professionals back in 2005, 2008 that, that knew how to do partner betrayal? Because I know AppSats didn't get started till 2012. I know. No, unfortunately, I did not know any of that. And fortunately, God put a therapist in my past um, around 2015, uh, 14, 15. And I, I guarantee she did not, she was not like trained in control trauma or anything, but she definitely was um, extremely helpful in, in accepting. I remember this one time we went in, and at this point, I was open to trying to 
make it work even though I had left. And I kind of had some stipulations. This is what needs to happen in order to reintegrate. And one of those was marriage counseling. So we were both in there and he ended up walking out, which was a very typical pattern, walking out of the session in the middle of it. And she looked at me, square in the eyes, and she said, he's not capable. He lives in this world over here, and we all live in this world. Mm-hmm. And it was this very clear moment I'll never forget. And at that moment, it was this acceptance, a foundational acceptance. Like, Amy, you cannot control him. He is not capable because he's not choosing into, into any of the healing. So I remember that very, very clearly. And she was pivotal for me in that, in that moment. So I got lucky. Mm-hmm. Well, I always say uh, a therapist or a coach is like a mirror. And they're ah. looking at you and you're looking back and they are mirroring what they see. And in this situation, even if she didn't have partner betrayal expertise, she did know that he wasn't capable of giving you what you needed. And, you know, as you describe yeah. him, he was clearly not capable of being honest with himself either. Correct. <laughs> Which is really the root of it, right? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Is this the phase that you really believe that women get stuck in the most? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they get stuck here. I think the approval versus acceptance can get a little tricky. Um, that cultural messaging, even gaslighting, um, gaslighting even growing up, right? But acceptance—it's about seeing things as they really are, not not as I wanted them to be or hoped they could be. And I see that with my clients a lot. Um, these dreams that we had, and again, because of that reality collapse. Right? They, they kept you in this false reality through that abusive behavior and communication. And so when you have that reality collapse, it's really hard to see that new reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where I think some clients can get stuffed into the, um, well, this isn't fun. This <laughs> table. I don't like this. This isn't what I wanted. And so we, we tend to put ourselves back up in that false reality that we had lived in for so long. Um, and, and then also the disconnection from ourselves that that false reality created. So very much disconnected to their bodies, to their um, higher self. Mm-hmm. And that too can keep them stuck in that acceptance uh, pillar. You know, I really am a believer that words shape attitudes. As a matter of fact, I've written columns on it. I've done podcasts on it. And one of the very simple shifts in working with partners is when they say, I can't, I say, would you at least change that to, I choose not to? Because that enables power, whereas I can't is more of that victim place. And the truth is, if they don't want to get divorced, they can choose not to get a divorce. You know, one of the beautiful things about AppSats is that they say, hey, you know what? Until you know what you want to do, you don't have to do anything. Or you can stay for the kids or the money or because you're too tired to move furniture or because you don't want to relocate or because you don't want to live with your parents. Or get a job. (laughs) Or get a job. (laughs) Or you can choose to leave 
and ask people for help along the way because nobody is really stuck Um, unless they're in such a physically abusive relationship they fear for their own lives and their children's lives yeah Mm -hmm. yeah no I love that and I do that with my clients as well just that shift of I can't even I have to even I need it's like it's so important and I think that's that foundational piece is okay what do we need here but at some point let's shift I choose and um, going back to what you and I both talking about mentioning earlier is this even the marriage like I I don't know about your story Carol but for me that divorce uh, because of the religious background that I had it was like divorce was not an option and divorce was not encouraged it was very much do everything you can to the detriment of yourself to stay in that in that marriage and so even uh divorce wasn't a choice which therefore marriage wasn't a choice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so even choosing like i need to choose to be in this marriage and choose to stay and when you can use that framework it's amazing to watch my clients go like when they sit with that framework mm-hmm. wait i choose to stay Mm-hmm. You know, I'll like say, here's what you're choosing to do. Let's repeat that back. And they hear themselves say, I, I'm choosing to stay. I'm choosing to ignore my body. I'm choosing to, um, you know, put up with this type of abusive behavior and communication. That's when things start to click because it loosens up and gets out of that denial because you are stepping into your beautiful empowerment, your agency, which is that third pillar. Well, that's right. And, you know, for our listening audience, I am talking with Amy Wolsey, and she can be contacted by going to Amy at lifecoachingwithamy.com. And your website is amywolsey.com, correct? amywolsey.com. Yeah, and Amy provides a variety of resources and services. Um, You created this workbook, uh, and it's a very simplistic but important workbook to help partners begin to see what they're capable of. And it's based on your three pillars, is it not? I have several workbooks, but one that recently that I put out on the AppBus conference was one about boundaries, mastering those boundaries, um, through and post-divorce. Um, I have a Divorce 101 um, workbook that walks through the different pillars very slowly. I think that when women are in that should I stay or should I go, they don't know what divorce looks like. So this is a very slow down, basic, okay, what is that next right step for you right now? And I walk them through the different three pillars. So, Well, and she is, she she is a betrayal trauma practitioner, and she does brain spotting. So you recognize trauma, and you know how to treat it, and it's one of the most effective trauma treatments, and you're a coach, and you're specialized in this, correct? Correct. What I do, what I love. Yeah, and, and she is the creator and host of the Empowered Divorce Podcast. She's co-host. To the Choose to Be podcast uh, with Safe Space and the creator of her signature program, Believing in You, Divorce 101, 
and intimacy within. And so, literally, how can our listeners check out your services, your programs, and um, your empowerment? Just head over to my website, amywilsey.com, and I will walk you through and meet. My goal is to meet you where you're at because this is so nuanced, and everybody is in such a different spot. And so my goal is to meet you where you're at and not push you anywhere further than you want to go, but take it really that one, what is that right next step for you right now in my job to help you get there? Right, and so you mentioned a word that's really being talked about a lot, and that's that third pillar, agency. Yep. Would you explain to our listening audience what is agency and how can that be um, crucial to feeling that sense of empowerment that we all want to get to regardless of what has happened to us. This one is so, this one hits my my heart every time I talk about it because if you have been in a situation where you have had power, um, where you have been acted upon, right, power taken from you, to be able to get your power back, to be able to choose, be the chooser, is an act of agency. And every human being has the right to be their own agent unto themselves. And, and being able to access that is what sets you in motion to be the creator of your life. And that's one of the things I'll say in my podcast is that you can create the life that you want through this beautiful gift of agency because you can. And when you start to believe that you can, it unlocks those limitations that we put on ourselves, that our brain offers us, that trauma parts offer us. Um, so agency is choice. It's the power of choice. And I, for me, as I came out of my healing journey and, and out of that marriage that took power and choice away, I committed to myself to, um, to be an agent unto myself and never self-betray. Um, again, and then I will always be the chooser. And that's what I want to help my clients do. Yeah, because when they recognize that they have choices and they work from that place, um, I'm sure you believe in this too, we attract into our lives what we believe in ourselves. And so nobody attracted partner betrayal into their life. As a matter of fact, it's the greatest deception ever. But now that you know what you know, I ask them to practice my number one coaching tool, and that is I'm 100% accountable for my behavior. And no matter if I get T-boned, if my husband will leave me, whatever, I get to choose how I react to that. And yep. what I do, and that is empowering, you know? Yeah, yeah. I call it your control bubble. That's how I phrase it. Like, let's just practice staying in your control bubble, and you can control your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. And that goes along with that foundational acceptance, right? I can't control what's over in other people's bubbles, but let me choose into agency and control what's in mine, and that is my thoughts, my feelings, and my actions. Yeah, I like that, the control bubble. And certainly it has remnants, for sure, of the serenity prayer. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. For a lot of people, when they're in trauma and that executive functioning has kind of gone offline, 
it is difficult initially to say, okay, let me accept what I can change and what I can (laughs) and have the wisdom to know the difference. And they don't feel their own wisdom. But as they begin to ask for more support and to believe in themselves, all that wisdom comes back, that intuition, and that's when they can really work on what they choose and how they shift their energy, right? Absolutely. So what happened in your life? Uh, Obviously, I'm always talking about post-traumatic growth. I have this course um, on eight partners that made specific choices to better their life. And you really have done that, too. So at what point did you decide you were going to give back to partners? It was actually fairly early on, not long after the divorce was final. Um, Because I was having such a hard time feeling understood, heard, finding the answers to really what was going on. I, uh, as a Christian woman, I sort of made a pact with God. And I said, all right, (laughs) if you can help me get through this, I, I want you to then use me so that I can reach out and help others get through this because I felt so alone, so isolated, so misunderstood, not seen, you know, in this deep of a way. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you've been through it, you just don't get it. So it was actually very divinely orchestrated, I believe. I think that I just put my faith in God and said, okay, I need your help. Um, don't have a whole lot of it to figure this out. And, um, if you can get me through, then I will turn around, I will give back, and I will help others. And I did that pretty quickly. Um, reached out to some church organizations and and uh, just put my name out there. So if you know of a woman who's struggling, here's my number. And I started talking with women. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And then what year did you go to APSAT and get certified? So I am a candidate, and I am Five hours away from certification, <laughs> I was so excited. Um, five hours away from that, but I, I went, well, I guess it's been a year. About a year ago, I started that um, through the encouragement of Alana Gordon, who is on the, on the board of AppSat. And so get to work with her and a lot of Sarah Morales and Ray Gamelin, a lot of other people who are um, associated with it and and the more I learned about it, the more I realized this is this is huge. This is a huge piece that I want to um, add to my scope mm-hmm. to help other people, to help women, yeah. clients, couples. <laughs> and it really is an investment. We're not allowed to talk money, but AppSats in and of itself is so reasonably priced for the, the cost of five or six sessions max. You can be trained in AppSats. But to be certified requires that you do 30 hours with somebody, with a group of people that are, are certified supervisors, and, and that can be a bit costly. Um, and yet, the mentoring, the guidance. Oh, it's worth it. Oh, my gosh. It is so worth it, Carol, and as you know. And that's why you said you're five hours away. You've completed probably 25 hours. You've got five more hours, and then you will be certified. And, you know, I always say recovery um, for addicts, the 12th step is about giving back. Now, 
there's a part of me that hates to tag partners mm. with recovery. I know they're recovering, but I just, it makes them sound like they did something wrong. And we know partners did nothing wrong. You may not have had a good marriage. <laughs> yeah, you may not have had a good marriage, and you may have had your own marital strife, but that had nothing to do with the addiction. Mm-mm. Nope. So it sounds like it's that post-traumatic growth, right? We we experienced something that we didn't choose. There's that that agency being taken, act upon, and yet the moment you realize something's been taken from you, you step into that agency, and then it's what do I want to choose to do with this? What meaning do I want to give it? What story do I want to tell about it? And um, that's that post-traumatic growth and resilience. That that giving back, so to speak, um, is for me. So. Well, and I know that you know. I don't know because I'm not a partner, but I know that you know that it doesn't mean that you don't do the jig. And you're in post-traumatic growth, and then something happens, and back in safety and stabilization, and you're bouncing back and forth, and then maybe you're in grief and anger, and but then you're back in post-traumatic growth. The truth is, if you can get over to post-traumatic growth, you'll be able to handle phase one and phase two when something triggers you or somebody has a setback that triggers you. No doubt.